Hey, everyone, before this episode starts, wanted to say thank you from the bottom of our hearts. Thank you for listening and all of the support that we've been getting from you all. And as a token of appreciation, we wanted to give you all a chance to win a $25 Amazon gift card. Jane, how does it work? Guys, it's so easy. All you have to do is follow us on Instagram at Savvy Dialogue and comment on our latest post, hashtag Savvy Giveaway. We'll be announcing the winner during our next episode that airs next Sunday, and we'll also be announcing the winner on social media. Looking forward to seeing all your participation and good luck. And now, enjoy the show. Welcome to Savvy Dialogue, the most knowledgeable podcast on the planet. I'm your host, Wallen Augustine. And I'm your other host, Jane Augustine. This week, we sat down with Tony Henry, where he shares all the info on architecture and graphic design, from licensure and diversity to taking your passions to the next level. Let's get into it. Tony, thank you for for joining us today, man. It's It's a pleasure to have you on. Thank you, man. Happy to be here. So we met in age at Adrian College. Uh, I know that you've had a, an amazing collegiate career. Uh, you started off at Adrian College, ended up at Howard University, and then got your uh, your degree from the University of Michigan. Can you talk to us about what that journey was like attending those three different institutions and some of the things that you were able to learn at each place? Yeah, man, it was it was a great opportunity. So going from Adrian, which is a small private institution, to Howard, which is a uh, HBCU, historically black college, and going to University of Michigan, which is a large public university, um, I learned a bit from learned a bit from all of them. Like it was it was a really good experience. Adrian, you know, being there, starting my journey in you know graphic design, architecture, and just meeting some really dope people to go into Howard. Um, just being surrounded by, you know, people that look like me and having professors that look like me and just, you know, being ingrained in that culture and just picking up so many uh, different types of, um, like, types of people because there's people, you know, from all across the country um, that go there. And then going to University of Michigan is being a large institution and just seeing, you know, how things are done there. Like, uh, is I just picked up so many things and I'm grateful for all of it. Yeah. And now I just thought about it. Going from Adrian College, which is extremely small, I think it's on 100 acres, going Mm -hmm. to Howard, which is pretty decent size to the University of Michigan, which is huge. Right. I remember Mm -hmm. visiting uh, UM and they're like, yeah, we got to take the bus to get to our classes. And I was like, how do you do that? Right. Yeah. So you really went through that progression, which is really cool. But I know it was a culture shock for me when I went from Florida to Michigan. What was it like for you going from Michigan to D.C.? Because it's it's a melting pot here. It's def- definitely more unique than it is. Well, not more unique, but it has its own characteristics uh, when you compare it to Michigan. Yeah. So being an Adrian, it's like, you know, it was different uh, because even from high school, like my high school wasn't all black. It was honestly like pretty in between. I would say it was about 50 50, maybe a little little leaning, you know, one way or the other. But um, going to Adrian, which was, you know, majority white, and then going from Howard, which is like all black for the most part. We got a few white people here and there, but um, it was definitely culture style, you know, learning how to kind of code switch between like, you know, from being just me who I am. um, I feel like I fit in more of like the people that look like me. Um, So kind of being ingrained in that all the time and then stepping out of it for like, for example, my internship I had, which was majority white people. 
Um, you know, so kind of like still being myself, but not too much of myself to where like, you know, things would make would get awkward with them. That's even, you know, sad we even have to do that, but you know, it's just how it is. Um, so it was interesting really going from, you know, just seeing black people all the time to to not anymore coming back to Michigan. Um, but it was, it was an interesting experience. I would, if I could have said that Howard, I would have, but it was too expensive, I believe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you on that. And, <laughs> and it's interesting talking about code switching, right? Cause I've done that all of my life. I still do it to this day, you know, working in corporate America. That's kind of what you have to do as a, as a black individual right. in the corporate world, which it shouldn't be. And I think that hopefully it could get to a point where we can just be ourselves and not feel like we're being judged or uh, we're mm-hmm. being penalized. Uh, Cause it's ridiculous to feel that way. And when we get home with our folks, you feel me, we, we feel good. We can speak how we want to, uh, yeah. but it's kind of gets ingrained in you. And you kind of just remember that it's like muscle memory. You just know how to coach, which it just yeah. turn it on without thinking about it. But talking about the opportunities that you had at, Howard, you know, being around people that looked like you, what was it like having those professors, right? Um, in some of those courses that you were taking, um, for people that may not know you or you are an architect or you've, you've studied architect, architecture, what was it like being able to learn from some of those, those, uh, some of the best that are people that look like us? Man, it was awesome because, you know, the architecture field is so like black people in architecture is, is so slim. It's so rare that you don't see it, but being in a school where all your professors, or at least most of them are black, and not only are they black architects, but they're black architects that own their own firms as well. So that was just dope being around them, and I even had a professor who was an award-winning architect in D.C. Like, he designed all kinds of stuff and won awards for it. Like, he was actually in the running. I think he made, like, one of the, I think he was one of, like, the top architects in the consideration for the uh, Museum of African American Architecture down there. Um, he didn't end up getting it, but just the fact that he was in that conversation, you know, is 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 big enough in itself. Um, so that was really dope seeing that, and you know, it gave me hope and a little and a lot of inspiration for you know, pers- keep to continue to pursue um, my dream. Yeah, that's important. That's why we got we got to keep funding HBCUs, keep making Absolutely. sure we do what we need to do to make sure that you know those institutions are funded and we get what we need because that stuff is important. Um, so thanks for sharing that when. Mm-hmm. What drew you to or inspired you to pursue an education in architecture? So my dad is a general contractor. Um, what a general contractor is, is basically a construction worker, but they're over the project as a whole. So um, they are in charge of hiring the plumbers, the electricians, the drywallers. They they bring the project all together and then themselves also do some of the work. They can sub out whatever they want to do, but uh, they're in the field as well. Uh, so my dad, being a general contractor, um, I was able to see my house get built from the ground up. So when I was in the sixth grade, you know, when he, that's when he got his license. So he was okay, now I want to build my family a house. Um, so me being in sixth grade, you know, just being younger, just always want to be involved and always want to help. I was like, I want to help. Like, like how can I? How can I help? What can I do to be a part? He was like, Well, you can go online. There's these sites where there's like pre-made prints, blueprints, and uh, you can pick one out. We'll see. We'll see what you get. So, you know, we're looking for four bedrooms, two and a half baths, see what you find. I'm like, all right, bet. So I go searching for like a week, you know, I come back to my dad and I bring him like five or six prints. And one of the prints he picked out is the house that they still live in to this day. So just seeing my house that I'm like grew up in, like it's something that I picked out, even though I didn't design it, I picked it out. 
um, that was really cool to see and, and really cool to experience. Even to this day, like just walking around the house, I'm like, man, like I remember when I was, I put this, I put this room in a computer program online. I was trying to pick out the colors of what my room's gonna look like and different what my bed says <laughs> gonna look like. Like it's, I still remember this stuff to this day. So it was cool. It was really fun to see. You're like, I did this. This yeah. is me. Right. This is me. Exactly. Right here. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That, and that's really impactful. And that's that's important too when we think about our children, right? Is exposing them to as many things as they can because that can really inspire you and you that's something that you can remember for the rest of your life and it drives you to be the person that you are. Um, thinking about that. How were you able to, you know, take some of those things that you, you learn or you experience within your life today? And how are you able to like, apply that? Or how does that cause you to be intrigued in something to pursue a, a different passion or something that you may not be well versed in? How are you able to do that? And are there some of those things that you are able to pull in and inspire and try different things with? Yeah. So one thing I learned is that like, like no matter what you do, whatever that is can be applied to something else. It's just all about how you look at it. Um, and I picked that up a lot, like, you know, going from graphic design to, to architecture in, in college, like there's always elements that you can piece together. So taking just different pieces of different things and bringing it all together as one is something that I've learned to do even outside like design, but just in life in general. Um, so like going back to design, like I love fashion design, I love graphic design, I love architecture, I love, you know, car design, whatever the, all those different elements can be applied to each other. Um, so yeah, that's, that's definitely how I've been applying different things in my life. Yeah. They all kind of run, run together for sure. Have you, have you considered yourself a creative person your whole life? Cause obviously you just mentioned you have multiple creative passions and have you always kind of had those passions or is that something that happened more recently? Um, I would say it would happen relatively more recently by relative. I mean like 2011 when I was a freshman in college, um, because there's when I first started learning graphic design. Um, so I had a work study there. And I didn't know anything about Photoshop or Illustrator, but just being there, um, when I really started like dabbling, I'm like, okay, this is this is cool. I like this a lot. And then um, from there, I think that's when I really like found myself creatively. Yeah, that's really that's really cool. I think I think your first year of college is really interesting when you um, when you have an idea of what you want to do, right? Like you kind of went in there saying, okay, I want to do some graphic design and architecture, and those two run really well together because. We know we talk about like renderings and plans like those are all play a part of, of each other. Um, so I think that's that's really cool that, you know, you were able to find that passion like your first freshman year because it's really developmental. And I think that's probably really amazing that you were able to carry that through, you know, to Howard and even U of M um, throughout your education as well. Mm-hmm. And speaking of the different, you know, programs as far as like, you know, renderings and things like that. Uh, can you touch on some of the programs that you use for, you know, architecture and graphic design and how they, you know, how they each play a part in each, each passion that you have? Yeah. So architecture, uh, there's a bunch of different designs out there, you know, our programs out there, there's Revit, there's SketchUp, there's Archicad, there's AutoCAD. Um, this is all kinds of programs. So those are the programs you typically use to like, like literally design the building and get the construction documents done in order for the building to get built. Um, but through college, I always use Revit, but since I've been in the field, it's been Archicad, um, which is kind of a different program to use in the field. But my firm 
uh, enjoys a lot. And I guess it's really popular over in Europe. Um, but here in America, the most widely known program is Revit. Uh, so I've been kind of, you know, trying to make my way back to Revit just, you know, so I can just get experience in both and just be more well-versed in both because lately I've been very well-versed in Archicad more so than Revit. Um, so basically, yeah, like I said, you take the, you design the buildings in those programs and then you can bring them into a rendering program. Um, what a rendering is, is basically a real life or a real 3D um, like photorealistic image or video of the building that you're trying to get built. Um, so the program I use in my, my job is called Lumion. Uh, and that's been something that I really like enjoyed a lot because you can take like these, this project that looks, you know, 2D and make it look 3D, um, which is just program. So that's been uh, really enjoyable for me that I've been using the most. Gotcha. So it's funny thinking about that uh, for me. Cause I, I use a lot of different things as well. Like being the, like either on Adobe edition, editing podcasts or audio on uh, Adobe premiere, all there's all different types of things that uh, are used and we can kind of like when I go from Adobe premiere to Adobe audition, it's kind of the same thing, right? It's just a, a different <laughs> way of applying it. So it's interesting to hear yeah. it from, you know, Jane's interior des design background and your background in architecture, how you guys can kind of intertwine different uh, softwares and programs because I know I, I feel like Jane you're a CAD person right yeah I'm still stuck in good old CAD I have not learned Revit yet I've been <laughs> I actually funny story I actually tried to download a free um a free trial just to start to diversify my diversify diversify there we go diversify my background similar to what you mentioned earlier with like ArchiCAD <clears throat> and Revit so I tried to download a free trial but I only have Mac computers and Revit's only on, only available on Windows so I was like yeah. oh man yeah. So one day, one day, Revit will be, will be learned. But for now, it's just good old CAD. <laughs> yeah, as long as you get to it at some point. But yeah, I mean, yeah, the Mac PC thing is is annoying. Yeah, I it definitely is. <laughs> Even like the u the user the userness of it. I don't know if that's a word, yeah. but using them is very different. Like using AutoCAD on a you know Windows computer versus a Mac is it's so much easier on on Windows. I mean, I guess mm -hmm. it's it's easier when you get used to one or the other. But um, right, right. But yeah. But it would be, it would be great to eventually. You're making a face. No, on. yeah, auto. Uh, Adobe, does Adobe make AutoCAD or no? Because Adobe's no, figured it out. It's AutoDesk. It's AutoDesk. Oh, Autodesk. Yeah, AutoDesk. Okay, because okay, mm -hmm. Adobe's figured it out. Because Premiere <laughs> and Photoshop look the same on Windows or Mac, yeah. so they figured yeah. it out. They probably AutoDesk need to talk to them. Maybe. All, all, <laughs> all you big licensed architecture and interior design firms keep paying their money, so they don't want to change it. <laughs> so probably, it's probably like yeah yeah so as you you know we, we talked about your education and you talked about your internships and some of the things that you know how that inspired you did you take any specific architectural uh internships to help you prepare you for uh your role in architecture and if if you didn't or, or did like did that help you at all in finding a job or as far as experience uh so I did do an internship when I was in DC. Um, I did, uh, it was, it was more of a kind of like a facilities type of thing um, at NIA's the National Institute of Health in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, so I did an internship there and that was basically just going around to the different like labs in the building and when different scientists or uh, doctors would move in and out. I would basically be in charge of kind of like, you know, laying out the floor plan. I'm like, okay, this is how it was. This is how it needs to be. When the next person moves in, it's how they want it. 
So I was laying out desks and chairs and stuff like that. So it wasn't, so I guess it was architecture in a way, but it wasn't, I knew it wasn't what the field would really be like. Um, so I guess the knowledge of just learning the, the programs even more um, helped me. And just, I guess, just being in the field, just having an internship in general was, was a definitely a positive experience. Oh, hold on. So I want to go back to what you said, Jane. <laughs> I was making a face and everything because you said you said NIH, right? Yeah. Hey, man, you know Dr. Fauci? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, yeah, I was playing facilities with the NIH. I'm like, man, he been, he been, He's been rubbing elbows. Dr. Yeah. Fauci's office. Yeah, rubbing elbows with the, the great Dr. Fauci. <laughs> Loki, I might have came across him at some point, but I don't recognize him. Yeah. Well, who knows? That's a, crazy. Yeah. It's been a while, but I was like, man, that's, I mean, yeah. I didn't know who Dr. Fauci was until 2020. So, yeah, right, exactly. So, I, I got you on that. But yeah, I was definitely like, hey, man, you might know Dr. Fauci. You might have to hook it up. But that's, that's good. It's, it's good to hear because sometimes I think internships are important for, for every field and every, uh, yeah, every inst- industry. I think it's important, but sometimes there, you have the rare occasion where people do an internship and it doesn't help at all. Um, mm-hmm. and I, we had uh, opera performers on here and I think they had like a, an interesting experience talking about some of the things that were required that when they got in, they realized that that really wasn't required, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so yep. it's always interesting to, to hear that. Yeah. And I think just going off of, I think when people think of architecture, right, they think of, oh, like blueprints, CAD or, you know, space, like drawing up building plans. And I think that there's so many different layers to architecture, design, you know, facilities in general. I think having that experience was, you know, it wasn't specifically architecture experience, but I think that's one beautiful thing about that in our industry is that when you're even in a different aspect of it, you're still able to like, like you said, learn the software. You're still looking, you're still looking at the space and you're just kind of going about it in a different way, which I think is really cool. Cause you're, you're getting that experience that way too. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I, I, I'm going to pretend like I knew I, I did this research and I know all this, even though Jane definitely did the research for this. <laughs> <laughs> There's, you have to take seven exams to become a licensed architect. Well, let, let's 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 go back. Let me go something where I, where I actually know licensure to be an architecture. A mm-hmm. lot of fields you need to be licensed, whether it's in the medical field. Uh, most most of the time, it's the medical field where you need licensure. Or maybe we had a, a hairstylist on here; they need licensure. I did not know architects needed licensure, and apparently, you have to take seven exams to become licensed. It, that sounds insane to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you got to think about it. Like these are like buildings that were designed. You don't want the building to fall over. Um, Cause that would create a lot of issues. So we you have, to, <laughs> <laughs> you, you have to make sure that you're like, like qualified to do this type of work. Um, or even, you know, even if the building doesn't fall over, you don't want it to leak or you don't want it, you know, the windows just fall out because the wind is blowing too hard. Like you, it's just a lot of stuff you got to cover. It's actually, uh, there's six, six tests you have to take. It's not seven. Um, but the format changes every year. So sometimes I add a test, sometimes I change the test. It depends on, uh, you know, which, which ARE, the architecture registration exam you take. They, they could just change it up on you like that. Yep. Man, I didn't, <laughs> yep. I didn't realize, uh, that, you know, obviously you make it, you bring a great point <laughs> on, you know, you're building, you're making a building structurally. Yeah. 
you break, mm-hmm. you're building these big skyscrapers. You don't want those things falling down. But I've never exactly. thought about that. I was like, oh, you just yeah. do a blueprint. You draw on it and you make a building. That sounds good yep. to me. Well, it's like, just draw this up. Yeah, it's just, fine. Just, just draw build it. it. Let's go. No problem. It's okay. <laughs> I trust you. Yeah, right. I think another cool thing, too, is as an architect, and you probably can speak to this maybe or at least agree or disagree, um, that you kind of, you're touching every part of the the project right like you're you're not like as a designer right i'm doing this, the furniture in the space plan and i'll probably you know work with my architect to make sure you know the everything's good on the on the actual like as built for like the walls and, and the spaces but you're really working with each discipline electrical structural designers uh, mechanicals like you have to put all of that information you know your your stuff has to be accurate for their stuff to be accurate so i think that's another important thing for your for your role and i think many many people don't know this because i didn't know this going in that you guys really are like the backbone to the whole industry i feel like mm-hmm. yep yeah, definitely. And even though, like, we're, yeah, like you said, we do touch it all. Of course, we're pretty specializing, you know, the design and the floor plans and how the space, you know, the space, the different spaces connect with each other. But, yeah, we're definitely, you know, we're touching, uh, you know, some plumbing and we're touching some electrical, we're touching some structural. Um, but, uh, yeah, and that's typically what the firm does in general, uh, but it really goes by firm by firm as a person. It's so, like for me right now, the firm that I'm in is a little smaller, about 40 people or so. So I have the opportunity to actually, you know, touch all those different things. I do a little design, do a little uh, construction documents, do a little, you know, project management. It just depends on the project and who's around. But like typically in the larger firms, like, you know, Perkins and Will, and uh, it's all kinds of out there. They're typically, if you're, you know, if you're coming in, you're typically stuck in one like bots, I would say. So if you're always doing construction documents or somebody's always doing design, but you know, being a smaller firm, I think you have the luxury of just doing it all. Nice. That's awesome. Man, listen, I'm still stuck on these six, seven of exams I got to take. <laughs> Is that something you thinking about doing? How do you even prepare for that? Man, it's a lot. It's a lot of like stuff. <laughs> so first of all, you have to go to a, you have to, earn your degree from an accredited program through the NCARB, um, which is the, uh, what is the national accreditation board of architecture? Some, something crazy like that. But unfortunately, Michigan isn't, isn't accredited. Well, I think they are now, but when I was coming through, my degree is an accredited degree. So I have a bachelor's of science in architecture, but you need a BARC, which is a bachelor's of architecture. Um, so since I don't have, up a degree from the credit program i have to go back to get my master's uh, which is typically a two-year program to get your master's of architecture once i do that i have to get i believe it's 3500 hours or so of work hours which equivalent to about three or five years um in a firm so in that i have to get experience under uh, a bunch of different categories. So you have to get so many hours in this category, so many hours in that category. Um, and then from there, you can take the six different tests. <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, it's literally a lot. And it takes like a lot of work and the tests are split up, but you don't have to take them all at once. So I can say, you know, the practice, so there's practice management, project management, program analysis, project planning, project development and construction. So I could take, you know, one test, you know, next month, I can take another test beginning of 2021. I can take another test in June. 
but all those tests had to be completed within like a four or five year period. Um, and then from there you get your license, but so there's that route or there's the route where you don't have to go back to grad school. Even if you don't have your degree in a creative program, um, you just would have to do double the hours of internship. So basically instead of doing 3,500, you have to do 7,000 hours, um, of like pre-work and then you can take your test. Man, you weren't playing. That is a lot of stuff. Uh, bro, <laughs> yeah. And the, the crazy thing is, I didn't know any of this going in. So yeah. it's one of the things was like, I, I was like so deep in architecture and I was like about to graduate. I was like, wait, what do you mean this isn't a credit program? Like, I, like this is Michigan. Like, this is supposed to be like, yeah. everything is supposed to be a credit coming here. Yeah. So when I found that out, I was like, oh man, like this is actually kind of a shocker because Howard um, is an accredited program. So if I would have stayed there, I would have been fine. Yeah. But coming to Michigan, um, they kind of sent me back as far as like my education, what I have to do. And it's actually kind of fortunate too, because so I think the year after I graduated from Michigan, Michigan got their accreditation. And then maybe three years after I left Howard, Howard has a program actually to where you come in as a freshman, you do five years, and now, uh, boom, you have your master's in architecture. Like, you just completely skip the bachelor. You just automatically have your master's in architecture. So it's like, the timing was bad, but I mean, the experience I got from all these different places is, is, was still worth it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, real, real convenient, Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, I exactly. think they could grandfather you in, like, hey, you already did the program. We just you accredited know? it, so you should be accredited now because you did it. Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, accreditation does not work that way. Nope. <laughs> so, they do not. No, so, not I'm in the ed tech space right now, and something that's being rolled out now that we're implementing with all of our institutions, it's been mandated now. If you have a program that has a, a licensure that is needs to be attached to it, or you will need to pursue licensure with, with, uh, upon completing the program, we need to give, uh, an indication or, uh, information about what to expect in what your state, because every state is different as well. So you could have gone to Howard, shout out to Howard for having a great program in architecture. Mm -hmm. If you yeah. could have went to Howard, but if you wanted to practice in California, the licensure, uh, the licensure requirements may be different. So now we're being required to send out notifications to folks that want to start these programs or that are interested in the programs to let them know information from the gate on what licensure looks like for them within those programs. So unfortunately, too many, too many students and uh, people that graduated unfortunately had to go through the experience you went through without getting the full information beforehand and mm -hmm. that and when that continues to keep happening it becomes a problem so i'm glad they're fixing it now but yeah it should have been something because we put a lot of money into our degrees right and right. it's important that they give us that information up front so yeah michigan yeah, and it's, it's it's like that in architecture too because you know every state is different like for example in california you have to design with earthquakes in mind versus you know uh Louisiana, you have design with uh, hurricanes in mind. New York, you have design with just everything designed in New York. Yeah. But Michigan is just like, yeah, you're just designing, you know. So it's, it's different in every state. And like I said, with the um, the program um, you have with your master's versus the one without it, only certain states will accept that, like, exception. Yeah. See. So, like, for me, I can only, there's only, like, maybe, like, I think it's about 10 or 12 states that I could choose from. But I can't just go anywhere with that because some states just be like, no, you have you need your master's or you need a degree from a creative program. Yeah. When 
I actually wanted to ask you about that as well, because you're being from Florida. I remember when we had, well, I was too young, but we had a hurricane Andrew came through Florida and wreaked a lot of havoc, destroyed a lot of buildings, took a lot of lives. They changed it up and they said, listen, all structures and new construction in Florida needs to be built to code to be able to Mm -hmm. withstand category four or five hurricanes. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about these exams, would you need to retake an exam or if you have licensure already and they implement something new like that when you've already had your licensure, would you need to retake some type of certification or would they send you like, Hey, just want to let you on. Or maybe, I mean, working at a firm too, they probably would say, here's a new standard. Remember this. Is that right. something that happens or is there, you would have, would you have to take another exam? Um, no, you wouldn't have to take another exam. So basically in order to keep your license, you have to do this thing called continue education, which is where uh, like lunch and learns or, uh, different like classes that your firm would typically pay for, I guess, or typically, you know, invite people in to do. Um, and then you just submit this form like, Hey, I took this class or Hey, I was there. Um, and then that counts towards your continued education. So that would be something that was covered, but just in these tests in general, like earthquakes, hurricanes, they're covered in the test. It's just not, you know, on a, on a, you know, like in depth, like, like you're in Florida design, unless you're taking the Florida ARE. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Can you speak to just a little bit on, so before you take these exams, right, are you technically, are you technically still considered an architect or do you have like a different title that you have to go by? And also to add on to that, what does your, like, how would your role change like from what it is now to if you ended up getting your actual licensure? Is there any like kind of major difference or is it pretty much the same thing, but just you have like the qualifications to be able to like stamp the drawings? So legally, I can't call myself an architect um, until I take my test and I get licensed. So right now um, at work, I'm considered a design professional, um, but I just say architect because it's easier to understand people when you're you're talking to people not in the field. Um, So, but once you get licensed, yeah, from there you're able to, you know, you can stamp drawings, you can, uh, you know, design whatever you want to design without any issues for the most part. Um, and with becoming licensed, of course, comes a pay raise too, because you're now, you know, qualified legally to do this work. So typically, you know, you'll bump up to the next, the next pay scale. But, um, yeah, as of right now, I'm just considered a design professional. Hold on. So y'all sound real fancy. You talk about stamp drawings. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> Basically like legal. So you literally, so there's a stamp literally with your name on it and your, uh, like architecture, like number, like there's like a, they give out these numbers to show that you're, you're certified. Um, so, you know, if anything goes wrong, you know, it kind of <laughs> comes back on you. They, they got your um, social security number, huh? <laughs> yeah, right. It might, yeah, it might as well be. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, as you get the stamp drawings, basically that this is like, I'm saying that this is okay. This is how it's going to be designed. And of course it doesn't like, it's not like it goes from you straight to the, construction work and it gets built. It goes, it has to go through the city and, you know, permit people to make sure everything is, is like double checking and everything is covered. And if not, they'll send it back to you until you fix it, send it back. Like, okay, good. All right. Now we can send it to the general contractor who would then get the plumbers and electricians and build up the building. Jane's over here shaking her head like, yup. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, hey man, that, that sounds real fancy though. Cause now like I'll, I'll know to look out for the stamp. I'm like, where you, where's your serial number? Where's, yep. where's your social? <laughs> where's your architecture yep. social, man? Uh, I don't think it's legal for a contracting company to even build something without a stamp drawing, right? Correct. 
Yeah. Yeah. So it's almost like with med students and doctors, when they graduate, they get the, or they have a white coat ceremony. Y'all have a stamp stamping ceremony. I guess y'all not number and a nice little stamp that gets delivered to you in a Louis Vuitton box. Oh <laughs> I wish. I wish. <laughs> and my firm is just they send out an email like, hey, so also got their license. Donuts in the kitchen. Oh my goodness. That's yep. such a corporate America thing. Donuts in the kitchen, everyone. Enjoy. Yep. <laughs> That's funny. So before someone becomes a, a licensed architecture, like what is like what does your job look like? Because you could you could probably still do a lot of the stuff that a real architect does. It's just there's probably some missing components, maybe, or what does that mm-hmm. look like? Yeah. So um, so basically, yeah, I get to do the same thing that an architect does. Just somebody in my firm, a license, somebody with a license in my firm has to look over what I do. Um, so they act almost as like the permit person. So they would look over what I do, make sure it's good. If it's not, send it back to me. I correct it to give it to them, and they stamp it and send it off on their way. Um, but like on me personally, I'm more of a design, I'm more of the design guy. So I like to, I'm not really a construction slash structural person. Um, I've been trying to learn more, but it's been kind of difficult for me because I'm more of a visual learner. So I need to be out physically in the field, seeing how it's getting built versus just, okay, reading this and just look, this is how it goes. Um, so my firm knows that and they've given me like quite a few like design projects. So one my first project I've actually got seen like built and physically get to like touch was this, uh, this high school, um, in Ohio, they had, they wanted to like redo like their, like their hall of fame hall basically, which is like, yeah, I got the opportunity to like design like some trophy cases and like make this whole hallway dedicated to different athletes from the school that went pro or they had like an actor section of like a few actors that went to the high school that's famous now. Um, so I got to design that. And that was pretty cool. The design was really great, in my opinion, from the beginning. But due to like you know budget cuts and stuff, it got kind of dumbed down. But just still, just being able to walk down that hallway now and see it, like yo, I designed this, and that gets to last like you know forever or until the building gets knocked down or whatever. Like that's that's something that was really cool to me and very rewarding. Yeah, it's like leaving your legacy, right? You're like, hey, yeah. you can take your kids there and be like, hey, I did this. It's something really yeah. cool that they can physically see. Mm-hmm, exactly. So there's this there's a statistic out there that only two percent of licensed architects are black, and I recently learned about this um, in the past year because one of my coworkers who is a black architect he got his licensure and he m- mentioned that statistic saying, "Hey, this is this is very rare." Um, do you think that there are things the design community can do better to increase this statistic? Whether it's I know earlier you mentioned when you were getting education, there were things that were kind of left out for you as far as what you even needed to become like a, a licensed architect or what that would look like. Um, and you even kind of mentioned now you're kind of going away from possibly, you know, architecture and, and moving towards something else. So do you have anything that you think could increase that or something that they could do better to increase that? Um, well, there are uh, different organizations out there. When I was in Michigan, I was part of, and Howard too is, part of NOMA, which is the National Organization of Minority Architects. Um, so I think if firms like kind of tapped in with those, because they, you know, firms tap in all the time with AIA, which is the American Institute of Architects. Um, but I feel like if they started tapping more of NOMA and start to reach out more, I think we can bring more architects into the field. Because in general, I think it's just, they're harder to find. Like, for example, being at Howard, um, that Howard is about between seven to 10,000 students, I would say, when I was there. And the whole entire architecture school from freshman up to senior 
maybe 100 people in the whole entire school of architecture. Um, and then at Michigan, there's 500 people in the school, but I remember I counted one day, it was 16 black people. And that's from freshmen through the master's program because we're all in the same building. So only kind of 16 black people out of 500 people in the architecture school. So it's not, so I think it's, I just think that, you know, we got to find a better way to like get more exposure to people that, that look like me in the, to the architecture world, how that happens. I don't know, maybe bringing some programs to a high school or just, uh, you know, reaching out more. So once we get, you know, up to the university level, I think it'd be easier to bring them into the actual, you know, field. Yeah, I think that's an interesting point because we had um, Lucas Allen on here, who's, who's an attorney, you know, Lucas. Um, mm-hmm. And we were talking about some of the things that are happening in law and how they make the entry to law school or to, to becoming an attorney is difficult because you have to go ahead and study and take the LSAT. And then you have to go ahead and then take another, uh, what, what's the 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 law the, the bar, bar exam, exam. yes mm-hmm. too many exams uh you have to take the bar exam and then you have to pay like a ton of money to take the bar exam after you've already paid a ton of money to go to law school and yep. then you have to apply to all of these different law schools and you have to pay an application fee to get into that and then mm-hmm. you know how it, it, i feel like in a lot of these positions and talking about architecture as well this is where you can see black people disproportionately disadvantaged in it when we talk about how the housing issue issues in the black community and you know studies show that having a, a home or be home ownership is the, the the best and quickest way into wealth right in, in mm-hmm. america you start to see when you look at the architects and the lawyers and the judges and all of these people in the judicial system and in the housing system there isn't a lot of people that look like us and right. whatever we can do to help that, mostly stuff like that, even in the ed tech world, you know, now these schools are starting to take away the GRE, right? Because like, listen, the mm-hmm. GRE doesn't really tell you how great a student's going to be able to participate or uh, perform in the in in a, an actual classroom environment. But right. people have to people have to take off of work, you know, when it's already hard enough. I got to pay that back these student loans. Take off of work, go take this GRE go somewhere and I think that I'm, I'm kind of going on a rant here because I this is something that I'm really passionate about and I get really it, it gets me worked up because yeah if we can eliminate those barriers a lot of the issues that we have could be most likely eradicated and right so I kind of want to get your thoughts on that like how do you think you know do you think those are things that really could shape or you know change the trajectory of some of these issues that we're having within our community yeah definitely because I'm one of those people who I guess in in high school, I was a pretty good to decent, you know, test taker. But since then, like in college, I wasn't that great of a test taker, honestly. Like once I got into architecture, like the architecture side of college, um, I was I wasn't that great at all. But you put that same issue in front of me as like a physical, like something I can like build or like do or show you like physically, I was great at it. So I just think in general, yeah, tests are just like, yeah, it's a you know it's a benchmark, I guess, but it's not an accurate benchmark. Like, I don't know. There was this like meme or this like uh, picture, like floating around this cartoon. And, you know, it was this teacher at this desk and it was, he was in front of like an elephant, uh, a fish, a giraffe, and like a monkey. And it was like, go climb that tree. Like, this is your test. Go climb that tree. Like, that's not an accurate way to like, of course, you know, the monkey probably do the best, but the fish, 
You know, it's like it's like you you can't get an accurate yeah. reading on people when they have different abilities. Um. So yeah, it's, tests. I feel like for the most part are, are barriers. Although I feel like sometimes they are necessary in fields like you know medical, just to make sure you know you guys you can't literally do in front of somebody at that very moment. That's a really good another great visualization. I think that's a really great ana- analogy and visual analogy. Um. So. Kind of switching gears, we talked a little bit about this earlier, how you have multiple creative passions. Um, you have your graphic design interest. You have your fashion interest. Did architecture influence your graphic design interest, or kind of how did that start? Yeah, so architecture, uh, I would say graphic design. No, I don't, you know, I don't think about it. I don't think, I've, I didn't connect graphic design and architecture together until later. Um so I knew I was going in architecture coming into college and then I found this graphic design job. And then from there, uh, I learned that, you know, the two can be intertwined. And then from there I, I built off of that. So, um, uh, so yeah, I guess they influence each other, but not directly. That makes sense. That makes sense. Did you mm-hmm. have, was there a time, I, I know you have Tone Creates, it's your, your side business. How did that get started or where did you get the inspiration to start that? Yeah, so I started doing graphic design in 2011, uh, but between 2011 and 2017, I was just doing it just to do it. You know, I did it for, you know, my fraternity. Uh, I did it for, like, a few friends here and there for free. I didn't charge anybody, but it was the 2017. I was like, all right, it's time to get serious. It's time to start, like, doing stuff that um, it really kind of took off for me. So, you know, since 2017, I've created, you know, Tom Creates, and I've done, you know, tons of logos, flyers. Uh, cover art. I've done a cover art for uh, the game, rapper the game before. That was a fun and interesting experience. So it, it's been very rewarding ever since. And, you know, I just love it. Hey, that was a dope cover for the game. It was dope. Thank you. Thank <laughs> <Yeah>. you. <laughs> so, so as, as you, you know, you continue to work on, on tone creates and you, you built the, the, the skills needed, right. To you, you started off in 2011 and you started, to kind of take it more serious and figure out a way to, to turn it into, you know, something just bigger than like a a, a passion, right? You you can have a passion, but how can you turn that into something that you do the rest of your life? You still Mm -hmm. have to develop these skills. How did you get better at it? How did you develop the skills? Cause I mean, I'm a creative guy. I do, I work on, I do photography. I do videos. Graphic design is a whole different beast, right? So, (laughs) you know, how do you, you know, how did you bring like, increase your your competencies in that realm uh just seeing different things around so i'm a person that just loves inspiration like i love just seeing what other people do and i'm like hmm, let me see if i can do that and i like try it just on my own just see if i'm able to just recreate what they've done um so i do that a lot of practice and if i can't get it successfully then i'll go on youtube and like, okay how to you know do this effect or how to do this uh style um and then I just build off of that. And then that knowledge I get from that, I apply to other things. I just keep building off of that. And just keep going and going and going. Uh, so, yeah. So Instagram, Pinterest, Twitter, just wherever I see stuff, um, I take it and I try to do it um, if it's dope enough. Yo, YouTube is a lifesaver, though. <laughs> Man. I, I learned so many different things on YouTube and applying different things. And once you you learn those different skills. And I know now they have all these different things now, like Skillshare. This is not sponsored. <laughs> you got yeah. Skillshare and all these different things that were, or, or uh, 
businesses that you can get these this knowledge from. But you know, just going going through YouTube, you know, watch a couple ads in between and learning those skills. You can take those things that you've learned on those different occasions. And you can create something else on your own right now. I, yep. Now I know how to use this blend tool and now I know how to dodge. So let me try mm-hmm. something new so you can, you can get in that creative space. But how do you keep yourself from, I feel like with videos and photography, there's a lot of trends, right? You got to do this trend and everyone's doing it. So now you got to do it. How do you yeah. keep yourself from doing that and being original? Ooh, that's hard. That's actually a hard one. Uh, it's just, like I said, just continue to find inspiration, just find different things in other places and trying to bring that aspect into what you're doing now. Um, because, yeah, trends trends do get, you know, tough. Because it's like, it's the popular thing to do. So it's, you know, it's, it's easier to, to look up and to find, but just to step out of that box. It's, it's difficult, um, especially with, you know, if you're doing stuff for other people, like those people typically want those trendy things done for them. So it's like, you're always in the box doing the same thing, doing the same thing, but just, yeah, just, I guess taking the time just to do research in other places to find ways to bring those other elements into what you're doing. Yeah. Do you, do you ever find yourself, uh, lacking inspiration or, you know, they have to have writer's block, you know, designer's block, or even with Mm -hmm. architecture work that you do, do you ever find yourself just in a, 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 what is it? A no, like just stuck in a rut. And you can't really figure out, like you can't really get out of it and you can't find tap into that creative space. Do you ever find like find yourself in that? And I think I think the answer is probably yes, but because I think most people do, but I'll let you answer that. And if you are like, how do you get out of it? Yeah, definitely. Especially during, like during quarantine, like over the summer, I was in that space for a while. I was like, yeah, Man, what? Like, I don't, it was almost like, I don't know if it was just, I was stuck or if I just didn't feel like doing it anymore. I was like, I just don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, I don't know if it was just like everything was going on between like, you know, just the COVID and the economy and just like, you know, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. It was just a lot of stuff going on. It's like, I just don't want to do anything, you know? So it was just, um, getting out of that rut was tough. How I got out of it, um, I think I just had to start forcing myself to do it. And once I started forcing myself to do it, I got to a rhythm. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm back now. I'm back now. Um, so sometimes I think it just takes force. Sometimes I think it just takes time. You just need that time just to step away. Uh, focus on other things and I think it'll just naturally come back. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I, if it may, I, this probably won't make you feel better. I'm like, if it makes you feel better, <laughs> but like <laughs> I was, I was in a rut too during all of this during the summer. I think mm-hmm. March happened. I'm like, all right, we'll figure it out. April. I was like, Oh no, this, we definitely don't be, <laughs> oh, no. this is different. We, we definitely yeah. not going to be able to do anything. And as we got into May, uh, it started to hit me and I'm, I'm introverted. I like being in the house. So I was, I was pretty good, but I couldn't find that creativeness that I had. And I yeah. just didn't do anything for a while. Then I made a video. I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to be creative. And then George Floyd happened. And I was like, yo, I don't, I don't want to do anything Well, this. It's, yep. it's terrible. The world mm-hmm. we live in is, Oh my goodness. You know what I mean? It was, it was a tough right. time and I tried to find inspiration in it, but it was so hard, man. And you, you couldn't, it was, it was a tough time. So I, I, I completely mm-hmm. understand where you're coming from, but from a design aspect, right? We've, we've been talking about design a lot today and how we intertwine that with different aspects of our lives. What does design mean to you? Ooh, that's the question. <laughs> <laughs> what does design mean to me? Uh, to me, design, I feel like is a, it's a, 
release. Um, I feel like if, you know, I have all these ideas in my mind or all these, like, these feelings, I feel like putting that out into a physical piece, whether it's, you know, architecture, fashion, video, a physical, like, structure, a model, or a sculpture, I feel like that's a way to, like, release whatever I have inside of me. And at the same time, it's a way to to leave a legacy. Like I said, like Jane was saying, like, you know, that, that space I designed in that high school, like, that's something I could show, show my kids one day, like, hey, like, I designed that. And even my dad, like, when he was working for, you know, somebody else before he was a general contractor, there's this restaurant in my hometown. We, every time we drive past it, he was like, oh, yeah, I designed that. Or, oh, yeah, I helped build that. Like, I know that. You told me 17 times already. Like, I know you did. <laughs> it's like, you just tell, like, it's, just, it's something he's proud of. So I think that's the same thing I would have when it comes to design, like, no matter what I do, I can say that, you know, I did that and it'll always be around. Well said, my friend. Very well said. Well said. Very accurate <laughs> as well. So we always end the podcast with um, a very, I guess, deep question. I, I guess it doesn't have to be deep, but it's 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 always fun. Deeper than my design question. Deeper. <laughs> oh, Lord. Just keeping it deep. Um what is one piece of knowledge that you would like everyone to know, whether it's, you know, design, whether it's life, personal, anything? What what do you have to share for us today? Hmm. I would say kind of going along with the climate, and I kind of touched on it earlier, is that, like, sometimes it's okay to, like, step back um, from what you're doing, whatever you're doing. Uh, it's okay to not always be busy 24-7, like, but you need your your time to just be you, be yourself, to you know get your mentals together, uh, and and that's okay. Uh, I know a lot of times people push like, oh, you need be working, you need to be grinding, like grind don't stop twenty four seven. Like no, like you, that's how you wear yourself out. Um, it's okay just to be you and just to um, just to take your time to do what you got to do, and then when you're ready, you know, jump back into your passion, jump back to what you want to do. Um, do whatever makes you happy. That was Tony Henry. You can follow him on Instagram and Twitter at underscore GQ Tone. And you can also check out some of his graphic design work at tonecreates.xyz. Thanks again for listening, guys. Don't forget to follow us on social media at Savvy Dialogue. And great news, we have a new website. So you can now check that out at SavvyDialogue.com. See you next week.